Hello, welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter seven, John Barr. good yeah yeah it's kind of weird because we're recording on a friday when we usually record on a monday and we're so fresh on a monday and I'm, that's true i'm so done yeah yeah yeah. true yeah we've moved it and then we've got to record like two episodes really close together yeah and my life has been so hectic this oh, genre be interesting oh, god it is um but fun it'll be fun it's always fun what have we been up to this week Oh, what have I been up to? I I did my taxes. Woo! I said goodbye to so much of my money. I always do it every year. Mm. I know that I need to save money so that when I pay taxes, it doesn't hurt. And I do do it, but it still hurts to see it go. Yeah, I've never um, had to do anything like that before. Yeah. My I wish that tax I just, just gets taken away before yeah. I even see it. I wish that I just <laughs> never got to spend time getting to know and <laughs> enjoy the company of my money, but no. <laughs> Uh, I just get to like look at a number in my account I can never spend. It's fine. It's gone now. It's, it's gone. Now. Gone forever. And then yeah, I've got to pay house deposit like next week because I'm moving. Oh my god, fun. I don't know if you know guys, but I'm moving house. I don't think you've mentioned it before. <laughs> I definitely haven't mentioned it. <laughs> oh man. That's hopefully the drama with that will be coming to a close. Not by the time we next record, but by the time after that. Okay. I'll hopefully cool. be in a new house <laughs> and probably exhausted, but it'll be fine. Yeah. We went to a <laughs> podcast meet, podcasters meet up, didn't they? Yeah, that was it fun. was very um, rubbing shoulders with people who have been podcasting for like five plus years. Yeah, it and was, yeah. We, we were just the hell little babies in the corner. <laughs> yeah, it was organised by uh, Helen Zaltzman and Rich and I are both really big fans of hers, and we were like, OMG. Yeah, and she was so nice. If you don't already listen to The Illusionist or Answer Me This, just just do. They're yeah. brilliant. Oh, Veronica Mars Investigations. As, true. And she is as lovely as she sounds in, in audio form. Yeah, she was super nice. She was really helpful. She had lots of insight and just, I suppose she, what, what are the words I wanted to use there? She tolerated me picking her brain about things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which yeah, was she nice was very welcoming. Which was really nice. Everyone there was really friendly. Yeah, we it met some, really nice. yeah, we met some other new podcasters um, and people that have been doing it for years and everyone was really helpful and really nice and like hopefully we'll be able to like collaborate in some way which is exciting mm-hmm. um, but yeah it was lots of fun and we were both really scared before because we're both not really great in like social situations and I'm not being funny but it fucking exhausted me oh like, god same when we were on the bus home I was like oh my god and then when I got home I was going to do some work and I was like absolutely not I'm going to bed it was like 9pm mm. I hadn't been out of the house except for to your house in like over two weeks before that and it was like I've been living in my pyjamas in a pile of receipts trying to do my taxes yeah. and then suddenly I got thrust into this social situation where it's like represent the thing that you do and care deeply about in a room full of people who also do and care deeply yeah. about the things that they do and don't fuck it up yeah right. <laughs> it's like oh. yeah it was daunting but it yeah. was good but yeah I've, oh god i'm just thinking about what i've been doing and i've been so busy yeah. so busy I've, I've given myself loads of shit to do mm-hmm. which i shouldn't have done but hopefully coming towards the end of it now i feel like we're both those people 
that no matter how many plates you're spinning, you simultaneously feel like you're spinning too many plates. Yeah. But also there's a plate over there that you really want to pick up yeah. and spin. And why aren't you spinning more plates? And sure, it looks like everyone else is spinning more plates yeah. than ever before. And you're like, why am I struggling? And yeah. it's like, no, no. I mean, I have this like <laughs> fucking annoying need to help people because I want to be involved. So like, it's not even from like a nice selfless place. <laughs> it's like, I'd like to be involved in that. So I'm just going to ask if I can help. And then it's yeah. like, well, actually I don't have the fucking time to help. So why am I doing this to myself? And I do it all the time. And now I'm really tired, but uh, it's fine. Coming to the end of all the shit that I need to do. Yeah. Take a break. Don't take anything else on. Please don't. I'll try. You were already trying to volunteer for stuff the other <laughs> night. You were like, I don't have enough stuff to do. I'll volunteer to like transcribe some podcasts for people. And it's like, stop. Yeah, I do need to do that. You've done enough. I've done enough. Have a break. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose on the back of that, we could go straight into what would your demon have been this week? I had a look into it because I feel like I've not stopped. So I like Googled like what animals haven't stopped. And apparently, I didn't know this, but um, sharks don't ever stop moving, like even when uh, they're asleep, because they can't. Um, I've heard that fact. Yeah. That is a fact. So I was like, <laughs> I'm a shark, but not for like the reasons why you might think I'd be a shark, just because, just purely for the fact that apparently they never stop moving, because I feel like I have not stopped since the 1st of January. Mm-hmm. Mm. Have you thought about yours? I haven't, but purely based on the fact that I spent the past week like drowning in receipts and paperwork, I'm going to say that my demon would probably be a hamster, because I think it would enjoy shredding all the paperwork <laughs> that yeah. I've hung on to for years, and I'm like, you don't need to keep this receipt from five years ago you're doing your taxes for this year yeah and then i'd hand it to my hamster and it'd shred it up and then make make something good out of it that'd be cool yeah yeah that's <laughs> my useful paper shredding hamster demon for the week yeah i like that i i feel like my shark demon is not very practical but you know i just not not when you live on the third floor <laughs> flying back in no there. right but you know <laughs> which is i was uh we ventured out into the world of reddit i never posted anything on reddit mm. and we did like a little hello we do a podcast yeah and then i was like engaging with the um the people of of reddit because i just i never go there it's a corner of the internet yeah. that I, I don't know i don't understand most also, technologies hi, hello if, if you're, you're listening, listening from reddit and <laughs> yeah. you saw our first thank you for listening but there's a really interesting question about what do you think dictates the size of your demon because mm -hmm. the biggest demon we've met thus far where we are in the books not spoiling anything, is a snow leopard. Yeah. Demons seem to be like a convenient size for life. Mm -hmm. Like you, I've not seen a horse demon. I've not seen an elephant. How would it fit in the list? Yeah. Um, <laughs> call back. Call back to ourselves because we're so hilarious. But yeah, I found that really interesting and all the conversations about it were really yeah. interesting. And my two pennies worth was just that like, you'd have to have like a really contrary, contradictive personality for your demon to settle in something that was inconvenient for your life. Yeah. Like, yeah. you'd have to have, like, a really dysfunctional relationship with your demon as a small child for it to settle in something that's just not going to work with the life that yeah. you have. Or you'd have to be really discontented or something. Yeah. Or, that's... like, the people with the big demons are, like, Lord Asriel, who grew up posh with loads and loads of space. So he didn't... Of course his demon could be a snow leopard because, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. they've got space in their house for a snow leopard because they've got a massive house because he's a lord. Yeah. Whereas, like, um a lot of the like servants and like poorer people have like 
smaller demons probably because like their living spaces are smaller yeah it makes sense yeah. everybody adapts to their surroundings so it would make sense also i wanted to or we both wanted to apologize for the sound last episode oh God. Ah, i'm so sorry <laughs> i did a bad i'm really sorry <laughs> um you we might have seen me like put it in the description for the episode and also on social media but we forgot to uh, change the input so. if it sounded like i was shouting and faye was whispering it's because i accidentally recorded it on my laptop <laughs> not the, the mic, mic. <laughs> to, uh, to be fair like the mic on your laptop is not that bad yeah better than i thought it was if we <laughs> put it in the middle then maybe it would have worked yeah um, I did think on the bit that I cut out where I was typing, the typing sounded really loud. Yeah, and I could hear you like taking stickers off your book, and I was like, that <laughs> sounds like abnormally loud. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and also, another apology from me, because you might not have noticed, but I've been thinking about it a lot. Last, uh, last episode, I said um, something about a demon when they die, and it looks like a candle going out, like the smoke from a candle. And I'm also reading The Secret Commonwealth at the minute, and no spoilers. But that's from the Secret Commonwealth. <laughs> mm-hmm. so I'm mean, sorry. We, we've already had a very similar description yeah, yeah. in the Northern Lights, so I'm not gonna like fine you for spoilering. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting my. Uh, it's because I'm reading like, and you're um, you're the same because you're you're reading La Belle Sauvage. Mm-hmm. I've but, only just finished chapter two. I'm doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> but because I'm reading two books from the same world at the same time, they're bound to get mixed up. Oh, definitely. Yeah, but it won't be anything spoilery because hopefully I'm not. No. That's stupid. Fine, fine. Oh, God. And then I suppose the last thing in this little segment is we wanted to tell you that we've got a Patreon. We do have a Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash HDM pod. Just like the social medias and stuff, so it should be easy enough to remember. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can head on over there, have a look at all the tiers and stuff that we've done, and, like, pledge if you can, if you want to support us, that would be amazing also well it's obviously new so we've put some stuff up there that we think that you guys might be into but if you've got any feedback or anything then we're yeah let us know definitely Mm -hmm. let us know we recorded our first q a video to go on the patreon we just need to edit it so there's gonna be some content up there Mm -hmm. and we'll add um the episode art up there as well yes so that when you pledge there's stuff there for you and it's not yeah. just desolate and empty. <laughs> We're trying. We're trying to be the be proper podcast people. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, we did not mention, but I would like to mention, all of the tweets that we've had this week. Oh, yeah. We had a new listener whose Twitter name is Isosceles Kramer, and I googled it because I just had a feeling it wasn't the real name. And I'm so sorry to you. Yeah, it's from Seinfeld. Like, apparently i don't know anything about it so i'm really sorry dear listener if you're mad that we don't know anything about seinfeld but thank you for all your tweets but i am i screenshot them because there were some really good ones actually um lots of like insight so they let us know that you can actually so like tokai whatever we're saying now is an old um english name for hungarian wine which i want to say is tokaji tokaji yeah um but yeah, he uh, he was saying that the golden colour it's described is accurate and he can buy it for Sain- at Sainsbury's for twelve ninety nine. So we will be doing a drunken episode <laughs> at some point where we drink Tukai. Yeah. I'm saying Tukai because <laughs> the master on the TV show said Tukai. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they also let us know as well, we were talking about Demon Gate and Hair Gate and they um, said something that we missed actually, which is in some of the versions... 
uh, I think it's Lyra's Jordan. I think that's the chapter mm-hmm. that it's in. Um, with the demon coins when they're dead, um, when the scholars die, they have a woman. Yes, etched that's onto in them. my copy. It's not in mine, so oh. I found it earlier. So I'll t- whereabouts is it in yours? Um, I oh gosh, let's find. Oh yeah, here we go. On each coffin, Lyra was interested to see a brass plaque bore a picture of a different being. This one a basilisk. This a fair woman. This a serpent. This a monkey. She realised they were images of the dead men's demons. Ah, so mine says, on each coffin, Lyra's interested to see, blah, 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 a picture of a different being, this one a basilisk, this a cat, this a serpent, this a monkey. <gasps> ah, that's interesting because I had an interaction with someone at Comic-Con who I think they must have studied the book at school because mm. they were like, oh, they were kind of ruined for me as are so many good novels because I studied them at like GCSE or, yeah, yeah. or something and you... The moment a teacher makes you overanalyze something, it's rubbish. And I hope we're not doing that to the books in this <laughs> podcast. Um, but she was like, do you not think it's really weird that people can have humans as demons? And I was like, I do not remember that. Mm. And she pointed out that it was in this chapter, but I guess they were reading this version yeah. of the book. Yeah. I guess they took it out because, yeah, it sounds really creepy. I yeah. wouldn't want a human as a demon. And the fact that... It, um, it's a woman as well. Like, yeah, apparently um, in one of the variations of the books, the master's demon was supposed to be a young, beautiful woman. That is fucking... That would have been ew. creepy as fuck. Yeah, well, that is I'm so creepy. really glad she's a raven or a crow yeah. now. Like, yeah. yeah. Thank no. you for, for <laughs> telling us that. And also, we should probably start another gate, and I don't know what to call it, because we've already got demon gate, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. So what can we call this? Uh, Crypt gate? Crypt gate, why not? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. But tell us what it says in your book. Yay! And now it's but on to Demon Gate. So if you remember last chapter in Rachel's version of the book, it said that at first, at first, it said that Marcos's demon was a black dog, big black dog. Yes. And in my version, she is a hawk. He is a hawk all the way through. Um, and people have been tweeting us. So apparently in the Kindle version, so Izzy and our pals over the Dark Material podcast mm-hmm. um, said that in the Kindle version, it's hawk all the way. Um, and then Charlie and Sophie are reading the 1998 version, which I think is the same one as you, Rich. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a dog first and then a hawk. So if you guys have anything different, or even if you have the same and just want to let us know, then yeah, tweet we us. We enjoy it a lot. We do. <laughs> At HDM Pod, you probably know that by now, but yeah, let us know. Last chapter, Lyra gets caught by Turk traders and rescued by the Egyptians. Tony Costa tells her arguably too much information about a bunch of scary creatures. And we learn that the Egyptians are planning to go north to rescue the kidnapped children and Lyra wants to join them. In this chapter, Lyra journeys with the Egyptians to the Fens and learns that she's been hunted by the Oblation Board. She goes to the Bayern Roping and meets John Farr and Far Decorum, who drop bombshell after bombshell with absolutely <laughs> no warning, including the identity of Lyra's parents. Oh my god. Far Decorum gives us more information on how the alethiometer works. So, we start off. We're on the Egyptian boat still. Mm-hmm. I need to turn my page immediately. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Lyra's now focused on saving Roger and Asriel so she feels a little bit better because she was feeling a bit lost mm-hmm. last chapter and she's doing a lot of chores for Mar Costa and she enjoys being put to work yeah she's kind of 
fully sat in the realization now that Pan had way before she did that with Mrs. Coulter, she was kind of just there for decoration. Yeah, and exactly. More like a pet than a person. Yeah. So I think she's really enjoying having some work to do that's useful. Yeah. Too right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you should help out Lyra. Yes, Come on. you should. <laughs> um, and the Egyptians are hiding her, but she hasn't realized that yet, or she hasn't noticed. And they're hiding her, so there's obviously something going on there. She's kind of aware that they're, like, wary and alert all the time. Yeah. She's not quite... I think she's not fully aware of, like, exactly what's going on. Yeah, I don't think that she's gathered that it's about her yet until a little bit further on. And it's basically because Mrs. Coulter and the Ablation Board are searching for her. Mm-hmm. Which is scary. They say how, like... There's this rumour going around that the reason there's so many police are about is because they're looking for a missing girl. Which, yep. in itself is really weird considering how many kids have gone missing recently like what makes this girl special yeah absolutely she just harks back to like what makes this girl special well she's rich and white so that's probably part of it yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um and it says that po- the police are raiding houses without any explanation yeah <clears throat> which kind of gives a really harsh look at kind of the society that they're living in where like it's quite a scary world if yeah. like the police are able to raid your house with no yeah. no real ex- and, explanation well i wonder if it's I know obviously the Egyptians are based on boats, but I wonder if it's, again, to do with that classified. I wonder if it's because of who they are. It must be, like, scary to, like, grow up and live in that world where the police can literally do whatever they want. And I know that there are people in our world that that happens to. And And that when something actually happens to you, the police don't care about that. Unless you've done something that they consider is wrong, and then they'll come after you. Oh, society. (sighs) Do better, the world. Yes, please. Egyptians and landfolk are getting uh, nervous. It's interesting that they call them landfolk because uh, when I was reading it, it only occurred to me that the Egyptians would be waterfolk because they're always on boats. Yeah. I like that they keep calling them landlopers. Yeah. Which I think is a far nicer term than like landlubbers, which is sounds piratey. But like... <laughs> landlubbers? I've land never lubbers. heard that before. Maybe... Oh god, maybe I've just been hearing it wrong this whole time. No, I, sure I, I've never a... heard of landlopers before either. Oh, okay. so. <laughs> I feel like it's a classic, like, piratey, sailory thing to say. It's like, oh, you're a bunch of landlubbers. Yeah. Maybe it's landlubbers. <laughs> Have I been hearing it wrong this whole time? Something it could to do be with land. Any of the <laughs> oh god. There's um, a little cryptic quote here. It says, and there was another reason for the Costa's interest in Lyra, but she wasn't to learn that for a few days yet. we liked a bit of foreshadowing we do um so they keep lyra below deck when there's risk of her being seen and the police search the boat uh, but they hid her lyra asks why their demons couldn't smell her Mm -hmm. valid yes um and it's because the cedarwood had a soporific effect i had to to google it yeah (laughs) it just means makes you sleepy right yeah Yeah. and that's why pan was sleeping yeah on her shoulder but also i have a fun fact oh i remember it as i was reading it i was like oh soporific we'll probably have to explain what that means and then i remembered a fact that lettuce is a soporific for rabbits oh and i googled it and so that fact is well known because beatrix potter wrote it in one of the Peter Rabbit books about right. like about how if you eat too much lettuce it makes you sleepy if you're a rabbit. <laughs> and then I googled to see if it was true. It is true, but it, not only is it a soporific, it is kind of like rabbit opium because it makes them high as well. And then I found an article. Oh my god, <laughs> this is brilliant. An article that was literally called Is Lettuce Turning Your Rabbit into a Drug Bunny? Wow. 
Wow. Such a weird little corner of the internet, but yeah, apparently lettuce is rabbit opium. <laughs> and it's a soporific, but it also gets them high. So, like, rabbit owners, I guess, now you know. <laughs> Beware of your high <laughs> of rabbit. Your lettuce. <laughs> I thought lettuce was fine. Isn't it, like, mostly water? Like, what yeah, is it, It's the, like, apparently it's the... You know if you, like, crack open the stem of a lettuce leaf, it's got, like, a thick stem at the base, and yeah. it's kind of, like, milky inside. Ew, yeah. Like, like when you snap a dandelion leaf, yeah, and it's that, got, like, that milky, like... Also, ew to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apparently that's the thing that's soporific. That's the wow. opium. That's the rabbit opium. Oh, my God. Facts. <laughs> You're all welcome for those facts. I enjoyed that a lot. So, the bow... Uh, Gets to the fens, and we learn that it's like a big, vast wilderness in eastern Anglia. And I googled where that was because geography is not my strong mm-hmm. point. Me too. <laughs> and yeah, it's like Norfolk, Suffolk, and Cambridgeshire are in East Anglia. Yes, but also on the map. So if a map of the UK is a witch riding a pig, yeah, it's where the witch's bum, like at the bottom of the witch's bum, just before it, like there's like a little dent before it's the pig back, and mm-hmm. it's that kind of dent in. Great, great, um, great. But also there's a lot of talk of it being the links between that area and Holland and how the fe- like the language of the Fens yeah. is thick with Dutch. Mm-hmm. That's all got a basis in our reality as is well. That, oh, really? Yeah, so there is a big thing of that area of land is really fertile, but it also floods a lot. So it's to do with how it's all marshland. Mm-hmm. And they, in order to work the fertile land, they have to drain the marshes to create an area that's worth farming. Mm-hmm. And there was like two big periods when they did a lot of it. And the first one was mostly like British people doing it, I think. But then the second time, a like Dutch colony was really, really involved with it. And it was to do with the Dutch reclaiming land and then also helping to like drain the land and work the land. And there's some really cool windmills in that area because of ah. those reasons. Oh my God, I've been to Norfolk and I've seen windmills when I was a child mm-hmm. and I didn't even think. And did you think, oh, they look quite Dutch. I was like... No, I was like seven, so I was like, wow, a windmill. <laughs> yeah, but then there's also some roots in the dialects of those areas that have links to Dutch and Low Dutch in that language. So the fact of the language melding in together kind of also is, like, I think it's exaggerated for, like, the effect of the books and stuff, but it is also, it has a basis, in fact. Wow. I did, I tried to do a read, and then I was like, this is too much, like, history homework. So <laughs> that was potentially riddled with inaccuracies. But you got the gist. <laughs> You're full of the knowledge today. I like it. So the Egyptians, um, they find it safer at the wilder ends of the fens. So the parts with all the swamps and bogs, which sounds great. Mm-hmm. Love a bog. Um, they're uh, moving towards the Bayan? Bayan Platz? Did I write that down right? I can't Bion read my own yeah. handwriting. B-U-Y-A-N. Like Brian without the R. Yes, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I googled that as well, and it's literally just a made-up word for this book. So... And there's a meeting hall there, um, and like some houses and markets and stuff, so that's why they go. I think, I assume that's a place where they can all go at the same time and meet. And I like, there's a quote somewhere. So many boats fill the waterways that you could walk a mile in any direction over their decks, or so it was said. I, I like that. that a lot. Yeah, me too. Mm. Um, and then it says buying roping, which I assume just means like a little, well it says, doesn't it? Summon or muster of Egyptians. Yes, and it's happening around the Bayan Platz, which makes sense that it would then be called a Bayan Roping, which Mm -hmm. I like. And then all the boats are roped together in order to stop them from drifting. I like it a lot. (laughs) As a a part of the vocab for this world, I really like it. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy also that it talks about how the Egyptians rule the fens and no one else dares enter. I assume that's just because it's such a... It's all waterways. It's all boats. Like, the 
land loper police literally don't stand a chance of being able to police that area so they don't bother yeah and there's kind of this idea of like the egyptians are left alone and they you know they live in peace and they trade fairly and the landlopers kind of turn a blind eye to the incessant smuggling and occasional feuds. Yeah, but then there's um, a bit at the end of that as well where it says again, like, if a body floats down the river or whatever, then, oh, well, it's only Egyptian. And yeah. it's like, it still harks back to... So it's simultaneously, they can't police the area and they don't care enough to police the area. Yeah. They're kind of it's like, live and let live, but also we're not going to help you when something bad happens, which is a bit shit. Yeah, really shit. Yeah. Poor Egyptians, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, they tell uh, Lyra like lots of tales. And did you? I googled some of them. Oh no! Yeah. You, please go for um, it. I googled the uh, tale of the uh, black shuck dog, and it is like a real thing. Not real, obviously, but like it's a real based like, on a based on a true myth. Yeah. So it says uh, black shuck, old shuck, old shock, or simply shuck, is the name given to an East Anglian ghostly black dog, which is said to roam the coastline and countryside of East Anglia. One of many ghostly black dogs recorded in folklore across the British Isles. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Like the Grim. Yeah, exactly. Literally, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> but that's obviously taken from other stuff, too. <laughs> I feel like we've gone like a couple of episodes without mentioning, mentioning Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says that um, descriptions of the creature's appearance varies, uh, but it's sometimes recorded as an omen of death. But in other instances, it's described as being companionable. Oh. Like, serious. Yeah. <laughs> and look at this weird picture. Sorry, guys. You won't be able to see this, but you can literally just look on the Wikipedia page and it's got, like, this weird picture yeah. of a like, cartoony <laughs> dog face. <laughs> that is not sinister. Yeah. It's like it's here to steal your popcorn in the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So I liked that because I love, like, any kind of, like, old, creepy folklore tales. Mm. Kind of a bit like the stuff that we were talking about in the last episode about, like, the windsuckers and... I like that more of it's starting to feed into this world. Like, you get the impression that Pullman's read a lot and enjoys a lot of this mythology and he's keen to, like, weave it into the fabric of the world that he's created. I like that because it's in Oxford that is somewhat recognisable to how we know Oxford and, like, a Britain somewhat recognisable to how we know, like, the legends are similar but not the same. I really like that. Yeah, me too. I like it a lot. So Lyra starts to talk. Like Egyptian, and Marcos starts to remind her that she isn't one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. My okay. When my parents, they we lived in like Derbyshire for ages, and then they moved to um, like Portsmouth, like the way down the other end of the country. Because my dad was in the navy. My did you live in Portsmouth until I was like six months old? Oh, okay. So. My sister, though, was there until she was about four. And so she was learning to speak around the time that they were living there. And she had a proper thick Portsmouth accent. What is a Portsmouth accent? Can you do one, I don't even know. (laughs) It was like, they lived on Portland as well, which is like a little island. But yeah, and then when they came back to the valley, everyone was like, why is your child speaking like she's not from... Derbyshire? Because they'd only lived there a couple of years, but she'd like soaked it up like a little sponge. And then also very very quickly dropped the accent because kids are like little chameleons like i find myself doing it even now if i have a conversation with someone for too long my accent will it's just a natural thing like you societally you want to be accepted wherever you are and you start to mirror the people that are around you so that's why people pick up accents when they live places for a long time like because lyra is a kid it happens so much quicker and then also i think she enjoys it as well yeah that's (laughs) true i think for me i don't think i pick up accents but i pick up um, like words and phrases from people mm. I think my northern accent has stood strong since I've been living in London 
I think I pronounce my T's a little bit more now. But yeah, I think I pick up more on like words and phrases and like intonation rather than like accent. My housemate Sarah says that she can tell when I spent the day with you, Johnny and Liam, because I come home more northern because <laughs> these guys always call me posh northern. You are posh northern. <laughs> because they're from Rotherham. Right. I would like to know, listeners, especially American listeners, can you tell the difference between mine and Rachel's accent? Because I think for people in the UK, it's very clear there's a difference in our accent. But we are still both Northern, so I wonder if American listeners who maybe aren't as used to hearing like different dialects, yeah. different English dialects, can you tell the difference? Is Rich <laughs> Posh Northern? Please tweet us <laughs> at HDMPod. She is Posh Northern. <laughs> also, um, with Lyra taking on the accent, I also think wherever she's been, she's never she's never really had someone that's like properly home. Yeah. Like she's been trying to blend in with the scholars and find a family with them. And then she was trying to blend in with Mrs. Coulter and find a family with her. And now she's with Egyptian and she's trying to blend in and find that family because she's just never had that. And yeah. she just, whatever, whoever she's with, she she wants them to want to keep her. Yeah. Um, I uh, made a note for that because um, when Mark Costa's telling her that she's not Egyptian, she harsh. says, <laughs> yeah, harsh. she is very harsh with her. And she says that... Egyptians are water people through and through and that Lyra's a fire person and then that just made me think about Pokemon and how there's like water Pokemon and fire Pokemon. <laughs> it made me think of Avatar Last Airbender oh, because go. of the different nations. <laughs> um, but I do like it the way that she's described. I think describing the Egyptians as being like water people is very much like they literally they go where the water goes. They follow the river. Yeah. They like they work the way they have. They like work with traditions and they follow their path that's mm-hmm. kind of laid for them whereas like Lyra is a fire person and fire just burns through anything and yeah. like smashes down obstacles and is harder to control and harder to contain and much less like stable and like you do get that from the characters of the way the people act yeah and definitely like that. and that's very similar to how the like waterbenders and firebenders work <laughs> in like, Avatar which I really like <laughs> um Mark Oster calls her deceptive and then tells her that it's a compliment and in a way I kind of get it because Mm. being deceptive is always seen as being bad but actually it can sometimes be a good thing like when we were talking in the last chapter about being a woman or somebody who identifies as a woman and then having fucking creepy men like talk to you deception in that sense is good because you're Mm -hmm. protecting yourself from a potential predator so but I think Lyra's a bit too young to understand that it can everything is nuanced and it has different meanings and not all of them are good not all of them are bad she doesn't know that there's like a gray area in between good and bad yet yeah and she's just like what i'm not deceitful <laughs> well this is the thing deceptive deceitful it sounds like you know if you've been deceived it's a bad thing but yeah. also it goes with that she's just a chameleon she's good at like adapting and yeah. blending in but she's still herself in the core mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and then uh, we get to the buying plots in the evening. And then it starts saying Zal when it means, I assume, the meeting place. I think it's the name of the building. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. But it's quite confusing for me, that, because I was like reading it and then it just came up out of nowhere with like no explanation as to what it was. And then I think a little bit later on, it's obvious what it is. Yeah. But I was like, okay, cool. Also, I'm just completely skipping back already, but Mark Oster calls Lyra, you're gosling. And I really <laughs> like it. <laughs> 
as like a term of like you silly sausage. Which makes me think of Ryan You'd Gosling. Gosling. Oh, it makes me think of a little baby goose that's yeah. really awkward. Oh. <laughs> also, <laughs> imagining Ryan Gosling now has completely ruined it. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, back to the Zal, which we think is the building. Uh, I had a note and I put I googled it and I just got Indian restaurants. Uh, brilliant. <laughs> okay. So they <laughs> they tie up the boats um, and they start like cooking some food. And I put a sticker um, to just read out a quote about Tony and Kerim's outfits. I love it. Yes. <laughs> so Tony and Kerim oiled their hair, put on their finest leather jackets and blue spotted neckerchiefs, loaded their fingers with silver rings and went to greet some old friends in the neighbouring boats and drink a glass or two in the nearest bar. Amazing. I love Great it. Great outfits. Great outfits. I'm into choices. it. I love a good amount of rings. Yeah. And I mean, maybe not the greasy hair, but I'm sure it's a look. It's a yeah. look that I'm sure I would happily have revived. <laughs> yeah. It's fierce. I like it. Yes. I'm into it. I feel like it's harking to something of like what you'd imagine of like if you went to like a horse fair in that time period that mm-hmm. they're kind of like describing and were to find like travelers or gypsies yeah that kind of imagery of like the way that they would dress yeah yeah like, i literally wrote yeah. down that it reminds me so where uh, my mum and dad live there was a field where travelers used to come through a lot and it reminds me of like the kind of stuff that they used to wear mm-hmm. and i always have like good memories because i used to like seeing them when i walked past um, yeah, so uh, Tony and Karen, they go to the pub and they come back with some news that the roping is tonight. And then I put, what's the roping? Is it a meeting? And then, yes, yes it is. Yes. We, I know this now. Yes. Again, this is me. I'm just like, just call it a meeting. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like that it's all like Egyptian vocab. It's like you've yeah. got a little, little book. And I guess like in the same way that Lyra's picking up the language, they're just kind of expecting us to pick it up as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind it. Like, um, I'm just like I said I'm very upfront I like to know what things are straight away yeah let's talk about uh, the missing child um, and that she's in one of the boats and that she will she'll be at the roping so that's what they've heard at the pub and that's Lyra like... kind of thinks that they might be messing with her yeah but they're not yeah it's kind of odd because it's like this rumour's already going around and how do they know that they're doing that yet they're like, right, well, I guess we've got to go to this meeting now that everyone thinks that she's showing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or are right. they like, oh, we've always had this plan and we just didn't tell Lyra. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I, I put a little thing against, it says, like, Tony's happier to be in the fence and it says that he usually has a savage gloom to his face and it Aww. made me, I know, it made me feel a little bit sorry for Tony, but I'm happy that he's happier in the fence. I kind of get it as, like, if as the Egyptian people, they're, like, they're nomadic, they travel, and the fence is the closest thing they have to, like, a home like hometown homeland kind of like this is where everyone you see will be Egyptian you don't have to be like on the lookout for someone that might take offense to your presence yeah and also you can like see his friends that you've probably not seen if they're all going off their separate ways on their boats and stuff um so they head up to the Zal probably worth noting that Lyra is still taking the alethiometer everywhere with her Mm -hmm. um and like I said she thought that Tony was joking but he he really isn't. So everyone is staring at them. They've like cleared a space like all around Lyra and Marcosta and the family. Lyra's nervous and Pan becomes a panther. Yeah, I like it. So then that we were talking about this earlier on. So does that mean that he's like a full size panther? Because they're big. Oh. Or is he like because when he turned into a dragon in like the Oxford chapter? Yeah. He was like a small one. Because I imagine that he's turning into whatever he's turning into. Mm. He's like, 
Lyra's age equivalent of that animal. So maybe he's like a teenage panther size. So like, what's that, Labrador? I don't know. (laughs) It makes me think of Aladdin. Again. (laughs) When Jafar turns Raja into a little... Little pup, uh, not a pup, but a little kitten. Little kitten. That's cute. I know it's a tiger, but it made me think. I was like, oh, is it a little like kitten little baby panther? panther? That would be adorable. Yeah. But I kind of imagine it as like, yeah, the animals are turning into an animal of a similar age in the age scale of like yeah. what the child is. Hmm. Surely, but I don't know. It's never really laid out. I don't think it's interesting. I've never thought hmm. about it that way before. There's a weird bit here where it says like Mark Oster like trudges in, <clears throat> and Tony and Karen. Uh, like with her they look like like princes like walking next to her it's like <laughs> they love the attention they've got their swag on they've got their rings on they've, they've got, got their jacket, jacket. Yeah. their hair's oiled it is on point and they yeah they just feel like princes yeah they like the attention <laughs> they're there for it and it's cramped in there in the zal and uh, demons are either on the floor in the rafters and then that made me think again do demons poo if so it's got to be quite fucking messy in there yeah and if they do like poo then do they control it? So, like, do you know, like, if you had a pet... Well, because they're more like people than animals, right. aren't they, really? So surely they can choose when to go. Yeah. But, like, if you had, like, a cat or dog demon, would you have to get, like, a little, little box and, like, let them out? And stuff? They'd be clever enough to use the toilet. Oh, wouldn't they? <laughs> like, you know, you see videos of cats that have been trying to use the loo, and then they flush it, and it's really, like, a little bit like, who spent this time teaching this cat <laughs> to use the loo? But, like, yeah, surely... They're like as as clever as a person, mm. or as clever as their person anyway. So like, yeah. they are civilized. <laughs> At the front of the Zoll, there's a platform with eight wooden chairs, um, and Lyra and the Costas find somewhere to stand like along the edge of the hall, and then eight men come in, mm-hmm. and people get excited. They're like, OMG, look at these men. And the hush falls. Yeah. We get introduced to John Farr, and he is described as... Tall and bull-necked and powerful. And there's an interesting bit here. It says that there was nothing to mark him out, but the air of strength and authority he had. Lyra recognised it. Uncle Azrael had it, and so did the Master of Jordan. Which is interesting, because I wonder if we'll hear of any women being described like that. Because Mm. she's thinking about two men there. And I'm like, I would like to see... I think it's just a thing of, like, quiet authority. Yeah. Without having to be... She's describing a confidence that potentially only a man can have in this world because of the way society will put the power mm, onto people. Wouldn't you say that Mark Costa has that, though? Probably, yeah. She's got a quiet authority about her. People seem to yeah. People Mm. seem to like respect her straight away without her having to like lose her rag. But then also, she doesn't have the like hat that says, "I am Lord of the Egyptians. I am." a lord or I am the master of a college that's like the actual title that goes on top of it to like bolster that she is just a powerful woman that's respected in the community I don't know because he is literally like the the king the leader mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a more official capacity but I know what you mean it is I would like to see more women described by that mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then it says that he is lord of the western Egyptians and then that made me think um there must be other types of Egyptians then, if they're the Western Egyptians. Mm. And then John Ford, um like addresses the room. He starts talking about the missing children. Um, and then he starts to talk about Lyra. Um, and he says, there's a thousand sovereign reward. And then I googled that too, because I was on a googling frenzy. Nice. I think it's just pounds. It's just a thousand pounds. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's decent. Yeah. He says that then, which is actually really nice, this bit. He says that, because it could have gone either way. It could have gone like, 
she's fucking here, get her. (laughs) But actually, he says that they're not giving her up. I like what he says. He says, anyone tempted by those thousand sovereigns had better find a place neither on land nor on water. We ain't giving her up. Yeah. Which is like, if you think you're going to take this kid that we as Egyptians have decided we're going to protect, then you are not Egyptian anymore and you can get out. And yep. we know full well that nobody on the land is going to accept you because of how they treat us as a people. Yep. So you, you, you know, go be unaccepted anywhere because you'll have betrayed your people. Which is like, huh, yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> and then Lyra blushes and pan turns into a little moth. Oh, because <laughs> he's so embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> so then John Four uh, confirms that the gobblers are taking children north um, and that the police and the clergy are helping. When he says clergy, I assume that means like the magisterium. Yeah. Because nobody ever mentions the magisterium by name in this, I don't think, in this chapter, when they're saying that like the police and stuff are involved. So I It's assume... very much in reference to the church. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He says that he wants to take a band of fighters north to rescue the kids. <laughs> he absolutely fucking roasts. Oh, Raymond, Raymond Van Gerwen. <laughs> I was just listening to the audiobook on the way in, and the guy that was voicing him... Raymond Van Gerwen, like John Farr's this deep, booming man. Yeah. They all have really unusual accent choices as well in the audiobook. But the Raymond Van Gerwen guy, they've clearly just been like, I don't think we're going to see it very often. Let's just like ham it up with a really like weaselly character voice. <laughs> and he's like, beg pardon, Lord Farr. There's <laughs> land labor kids as well. <laughs> the Egyptians have been taken captive. Are you saying we should rescue them as well? Oh my God. <laughs> and it's proper like hamming it up and like there was a weird accent on top of that that I couldn't do and like you should get an award for that that was great I loved it put Rach in the new fucking oh audiobooks he gets bloody roasted yeah like, Raymond are you saying we should fight our way through every kind of danger to a little group of frightened children and then say to some of them that they can con- can come home and the rest have to stay no you're a better man than that boom oh well, yeah it was a bloody stupid question absolutely stupid so questions stupid. get stupid answers <laughs> <laughs> that is like why would you think that you're not gonna save other people's kids too when you're saving kids that are just kids i bet fucking raymond regretted asking that question yeah he was like well i feel like a bit of an idiot now (laughs) you're a silly gosling (laughs) (laughs) oh god so then um far asks the room if he has their approval they hesitate but then raw their approval woohoo I think they just didn't realise it was a question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, you're asking if we want to. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. So the Zal shook and the birds in the rafters woke up. And then I made a note. I know we've seen animals before because I think like Lyra and Roger talk about almost killing that bird. Mm-hmm. And they've been having eels for dinners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think it's interesting that they exist in this world alongside demons. Because people still eat meat. Yeah. There's still references to people hunting and fishing and eating animals. And I think that would be really problematic if you were eating people's demons. Can you imagine? <laughs> Obviously, people know when it's a demon. But can you yeah. imagine if you if you couldn't tell? Like, oh, God. Sorry, I just thought about somebody eating someone's demon. That's just fucking horrible. Well, also, it would it not just, like, puff into, like, nothingness before you had a chance anyway. Because we know that when they die, they, like, turn to dust motes in the air. Or, like, what was it? Like, the smoky thing. Yeah, but what if they were eating it alive? I'm so sorry. Well... Don't be that fucking dark. <laughs> like, get your mind out of that place, babe. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Um, that sounds horrific, and I would hope it's not a thing. Um, <laughs> if we ever meet Philip, we'll ask him. <laughs> really okay, cool. freak him out on the list of questions to ask Phil when we meet him. <laughs> Could somebody cannibalize a demon? We need to know this. What if it turned into something really tasty? 
God, okay. Calm. Calm oneself. John Farr says that he wants to talk to Lyra um, with Father Coram, who's a new character. Yeah. Um, and he says goodnight to everyone. Um, um, so then there's like a, not a very nice description of, of John Farr. It says, his massive, plain, blunt presence. He's, there's a lot of really, I think Philip was just really into contrasting the descriptions yeah, of yeah, Far Decorum and John Farr as like leader figures. Yeah. Because consistently, John Farr is described as being like big, plain, calm, deep, yeah. strong, all this stuff. And Far Decorum, we get a description of him because they're talking about how like, so the... The, the heads of the six families and the other man is Fardacorum and it was easy to see who she meant by the other man because he was the oldest one there. He walked with a stick all the time and he'd been sitting behind John Far. He'd been trembling as if with ague. 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 I don't know. I googled it. It just means like shivering and shaking with like Aww. as if he's ill or has a fever. Aww. So he's described as this like old frail man with a stick and a yeah. fever and then you've got John Far as like Big, strong, plain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Booming. Yeah. Um, and Pan's a sparrow now, because I like to keep on top of what Pan is at mm-hmm. any time. Uh, Tony lifts up Lyra. Why does he lift her up? I think because there's, like, just to get her onto the stage. Yeah, but, like, ask her permission. She doesn't mm-hmm. like it. She's embarrassed. I guess so. Yeah, he should have offered her, like, a... Like a you know, when you like offer a someone up. a stirrup. Like yeah, a leg yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Lyra's hesitant and then Pan becomes a wildcat and we all know what they look like now because we posted one yeah, on social I media. Love Wildcat Pan. I yeah. really like that. I feel like yeah, Wildcat Pan is a good pan. Yeah. Um and then she heads to uh, Far and I think Tony tells her that she has to call him Lord Far Lord mm-hmm. Lord. <laughs> Lord Lord Far. <laughs> Lord. She has to call him Lord Far. And yeah, again, like he's described as being a pillar of rock and that his hand swamps her. Yeah, so all these, like, again, these descriptions of him being big and massive and blunt beefy. and beefy. <laughs> he, he's a 70-year-old beefcake. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> and then, yeah, even his voice, it says she felt his voice rumbling like the earth itself, which is powerful. And they have a bit of small talk, and then they go to the party room. Yeah, which I enjoy that they... The parley room, I think, is the Egyptian version of the retiring room. Mm-hmm. And they are quite happily inviting Lyra, a woman, in for a chat. Yeah. And then when she gets there, later on it's mentioned that she didn't realise, but there'd been a woman in a room the, the room the whole time kind of thing. And it's like, here's this people who are very inclusive and family-like, and they do have these figures of authority that do happen to all be men. But their, like, magic room for retiring to after they've had their mm. meetings isn't a weird exclusive patriarchal space. Yeah, but also isn't the woman in there, like, she's, like, literally waiting on them and serving them. I mean, so. yeah, but, like, she's allowed in and also <laughs> Lyra's there as, like, an equal to have a conversation. Yeah, I so, suppose it's, yeah. it's a step up. It's, it's a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> so they get into the room mm-hmm. and John Farr takes the seat at the head of the table and asks Lyra to sit at his right and he helps Fardacorum to sit down. Mm-hmm. So he's opposite Lyra. Lyra found herself opposite Fardacorum. She was a little frightened by his skull-like face and his continual trembling. His demon was a beautiful autumn-coloured cat, massive in size, who stalked along the table with an upraised tail and elegantly inspected Pantalaemon, touching noses briefly Aww. before settling on Fardacorum's lap. Half closing her eyes and purring softly. Ah, that's totally why my demon would be a cat because she's sassy, she elegant. <laughs> like she's ugh, gonna I check a demon out before she trusts it. She's mm-hmm. like, mm, I'm gonna come over and see what you've got going on. But then, like, so this like lovely. 
frey old doddery old man who's described as being like skull-like face mm-hmm. like he's clearly ancient and he's trembling but then his demon is still this like plush cat that's like da, 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 da. <laughs> like i just i really like it yeah <laughs> but also i just want to give vardacorum a little hug oh, and no. just hold his hold his little trembly hand oh, bless him oh. yeah then the woman comes out of the darkness and i said props to that woman because she's never seen again we see you <laughs> we see you lady with the drinks we do um, and then he pour, uh, John Ford pours him and Corum some Jennifer, which is gin. Ah, yeah, a juniper flavoured liqueur yeah. is what I found. I found that it's Dutch gin, which ah. is. Um, it was spelt differently though when okay. I. Um, I think it was spelt with an I rather than an E when I Googled it, so it's like Jennifer. And yeah, it said that it was a Dutch gin, so it makes sense really for where they are. Yeah, and but also just. He gives, so he's like, oh, I'll give the, like, liqueur or the spirits to the grown-ups in the room, but I'll still give Lyra a glass of wine. She's 12! She can't be drinking wine! I get drunk off one glass of wine! What's going to happen to her? I don't know, but, like, just super casual, like, here's some wine, child. Okay. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Just give her some Ribena. Yeah. Then we get into the bit which is like so fucking dialogue heavy and there's so much information for like the next five or six pages. I mean, this is it for the rest of the chapter now. Mm-hmm. It's literally just information. Here it is. Take it in. But there's no time for you to take it in. Ah, buckle in. We're going to take you on a ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, right. What happens? She tells them all about Mrs. Coulter and Roger, mm-hmm. uh, the missing kids that she knows, Azriel and Dust. Um, she tells him that she wants to rescue Asriel. By the way, I'm like fucking flying through it. So because no, 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 we know all this stuff. Fine. It said that she looks fierce and stubborn, but small against the massive chair. And I really I liked, liked that. that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, and then there's an interesting description of the, of John Ford and Fordacoran's smiles. Yes. Um, so it says that uh, Fordacoran's smile was a hesitant, rich, complicated expression that trembled across his face like sunlight chasing shadows on a windy March day. John Ford's smile was slow, warm, plain and kindly. Yeah, again, lovely contrasting description. Yeah, absolutely. Philip is doubling down on this this contrast. (laughs) He is. Then they ask her to tell them what she heard Asriel saying um, Mm. that night at the college. There's another bit later on. uh, He's asking them to tell her stuff there's a quote that i wanted to pull out there was she was afraid of john far and what she was most afraid of was his kindness which yeah. is like she's described him as being similar to asriel earlier in the chapter and he's this big strong authoritative character and yet she's saying that what she's afraid of isn't that he's going to twist her arm and almost break it and threaten her like how asriel does but she's afraid of his warmth and his kindness because yeah. she's never don't think she's ever really seen it in an authority figure before. Mm. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because later on in this chapter, they touch on how the master and the scholars loved her and, and want like raised her and stuff. But it's like, they didn't show her that much affection if they did love her. Mm. Like, I am inclined to believe that... I, I think that the master cared for her, but I don't particularly... From what we've seen from the scholars, it doesn't really seem like they really gave that much of a shit about her. Yeah, and also that it was kind of like, we have affection for her, but we don't know what to do yeah. with her or with that feeling yeah. or any of it. They all, I think they're all too far too awkward slash repressed mm. to uh, Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Deal because... with that. You get the impression that John Farr is a much more... I think this man's in touch with his emotions. Yeah, and then they think about even like Mrs. Lonsdale didn't really show her too much affection. She was like quite 
harsh with her. Mm. And yeah, it, it is sad, actually. I, I did write in it as well. I was like, why is she afraid of this kindness? I didn't really think about it too much. But... I think it's because it's unknown. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, she's never seen that before. And yeah. she doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. In the same kind of way, she's like, oh, emotion. Yeah. <laughs> From I mean, a man. Relate- what do I do? <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Father Coram speaks. It says that his voice was rich and musical, with as many turns in it as there were colours in his demon's fur. Lovely. I know, so lovely. I do really just want to give him a cuddle. He asks if they ever called dust anything else. Um, And she says that she's only heard it being referred to as elementary particles. Father Coram asks her if they think that by doing something to kids they can find out more about dust. And she Mm -hmm. says yes. I find it really cute. That she's trying to describe the aurora, aurora and she just calls it the aurora. The aurora. <laughs> and even when he's like, oh, you mean the aurora? She's like, yeah, the aurora. Yeah, I fucking said it. And I meant it. <laughs> it's the aurora. <laughs> it's adorable. Oh, God. Yeah, so she tells them all about like the city in the sky that Azrael saw. And it's interesting that they laid this out because it's nice to like to see it. Because this is good for us as well as readers, like processing again all this information. Because we've had so much thrown at us throughout the book so far. And like thinking about actually, okay, what dust is, and that Father Coram, like I just said, said that by doing something to kids, they can find out more about dust. And it's nice to see it laid out like that so that you can come to that conclusion in your mind as well. Yeah. And then the next bit where it says that Asriel's more interested in like the city and the sky and the scholars are more interested in dust. And it's, it's nice like to have that. Every time it's laid out for you, you're getting given a jigsaw puzzle that's slowly like more little pieces are being connected each time like every time you get a lot of the information but the bits that connect aren't always together Mm -hmm. and then each Mm -hmm. time you're presenting with the information again two more bits have been put together yeah i like that a lot like definitely it's helping you as the reader piece it together in your head yeah because it's complicated as well so to keep coming back to it to look and yeah having that repetition to help you absorb it i think is really important yeah absolutely we find out that father coram's been following lyra and has had other Egyptians, like, bring back news about her. And that he's a seer. Yeah. Like, does that, like, do they mean something by that? Or do they just mean that that's his general, like, that's a personality trait of his? Not in, like, a magical way, but just that he maybe sees things more than other people do. Because, like, people are like that. Maybe. I, I don't know. Or, like, is know. he, like, is he an actual seer? Special? Yeah. I don't know. Everyone's special. TV show reference. Yeah, I'm really not sure because like he's obviously a very wise man. He's obviously mm-hmm. like very well respected if he's got a seat there on the platform with the other people that are the heads of the families and John Farr and he's being like he's clearly the guy with all the information. But yeah. whether that's just the title they've given him because he's the guy with all the information and he's wise or because he's actually got some kind of mystical power. Mm. I guess we'll find out. I don't know. We will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Lyra gets a bit scared after learning that she's been fucking followed, which is uh, fair. Yeah. <laughs> and then Pan does a little growl. Oh, a growl. Oh, and then in like the cutest fucking move that's ever fucking happened, Lyra starts shouting about the boat and that she didn't mean to damage it because she thinks that they're all referring to that. And I'm I like, didn't this. mean to commit oh. grand theft boat. <laughs> oh god. Oh god. And then, but also she's there like they're really mad at me. I have to apologize. And then they're just laughing. Yeah. And she's still like, if I'd have found the bung, I wouldn't have pulled it out. And they're still just laughing. And it's like reassure her guys <laughs> yeah i don't know like i can't remember if i've mentioned this on the podcast before but i think it's similar for most kids but when i was a kid i fucking hated being laughed at like because you feel like there's something that you're not in on and i hated that like mm-hmm. my niece lexi 
she hates being laughed at as well. But you all take the piss out of her so much. Yeah, we do. Because I laugh at her more when she doesn't like being laughed at. I'm not mean to her. We have a good time. Um, (laughs) Well, you uh, do. (laughs) um, But yeah, she fucking hates being laughed at. And I think it's like a very like childlike thing to Mm. to do. It's um, a very like classic level of like something you find frustrating as a child. And that's one of the worst things to try and deal with is feeling frustrated and and powerless. And like grown-ups laughing at you. That'll do it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It sounds like, it says that John Farr sounds like a mountain laughing. (laughs) This man is a pillar of stone, he is a rock, he is a mountain, like, everything. Yeah. If it was a movie, he'd be played by The Rock when he's 70. <laughs> yes. They, like, tell her it's alright, and that it's fine. They've just been taking the piss out of Tony Costa for it for ages. Yes, that's it. <laughs> and they're like, oh, watch out for the fierce little girls, Tony, they're gonna nick your boat. <laughs> Maybe that's why Tony Costa's, like, savagely gloomy. <laughs> oh my god. Because <laughs> everyone's taking the piss out of him. Fed up of having the piss ripped out of him. <laughs> love it John Farr asks if Jordan College ever told her her parents were and I think this is the first time other than learning that she's an orphan at the beginning of the book that Mm. her parents have actually been brought up I think aside from when at the cocktail party someone asked her who her parents are and she says the Blackwiz died in an airship accident my uncle is Lord Asriel and then someone was like and like felt awkward again she tells them that um, they were killed in an airship accident and he just fucking tells her that her dad's Lord Asriel. Oh, yeah. He just fucking peppers it in. Yeah. There's no, like, big reveal. It's just there. <laughs> and I was, like, a bit... For me, it was a bit anticlimactic because I was expecting it to be something of that gravitas, to be end of a chapter worthy. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like, your father's Lord Asriel. Boom, end of chapter. Oh, my God. And it's just, or, like, like, peppered in. Something... Because it's just Lyra could only sit in wonder is the only thing we get of her reaction to. Yeah. Whereas, like, I want that snapshot inside her head where she is reeling. Yeah. And she is like, my whole world just got turned on its head. Because we're just getting, like, physically what's being said at the moment. We're not getting to go inside Lyra's head and see what she's feeling. Yeah. Some of that impact is maybe lost. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, as, like I was saying earlier, it's so dialogue heavy that you, you are losing that a little bit, I think, in this chapter. Because I-, I want that description of like her stomach dropped yeah yeah, she, yeah like she felt dizzy all this kind of stuff that would happen if you just had like a bombshell dropped yeah yeah which bombshells drop from here on out people. i mean they fucking do <laughs> so like john far starts explaining about asriel and it's like a basically a massive bit which i'm just gonna like pull bits here from. is some backstory yeah, yeah i wrote like a bullet points of what, oh. what's what happened do you, bullet you want my bullet yeah. points bombs are dropped from here on out i'm reading my notes verbatim <laughs> Lyra finds out her dad is Lord Asriel. He was rich, well-born, an explorer, passionate and quick to a temper. And her mum was not so well-born, but clever, a scholar and beautiful, and most importantly, married already. They had an affair. When Lyra was born, her mum couldn't hide the fact that Lyra was not her husband's child because she looked so much like Asriel. Right. I call bullshit on that because all newborn babies look like aliens. They look like potatoes. Okay, this lends credence to a theory that I had that I read online was that, like, maybe Asriel is black. Oh. Because that is surely the only way that you couldn't hide who a baby's dad would be oh if, God. like, Coulter was married to a white man and had an affair with a man of a different ethnicity whose skin tone was different enough that it, it would be harder to hide. I really like that theory. I love that. Especially having Lyra as, like, an outcast that doesn't fit in and is very noticeable in a society where perhaps that doesn't happen as much. Yeah, I love that. Oh, my God, it's just blown, blown up in so many ways right? for me. 
I'm on board with that fan theory. Yeah, me too. Like, heavily. The, my, the other theory just being that, like, maybe Asriel's, like, well blonde and Coulter and the dad have, like, really, really dark hair and a long lineage of people with very dark hair. Thinking Game of Thrones here, oh. where, like, Ned Stark works out that Joffrey's illegitimate by the fact that, like, all the Lannisters have always, always had blonde hair and all the Baratheons have always had dark hair. And then being like, why is this baby blonde? Props because Cersei's banging her brother. I've never watched Game of Thrones. <laughs> I can't, I can't comment. There you go. Well, that's my, but like that kind of, maybe a, a similar things occurred there with it just being like a bit too obvious. But yeah, all babies do look like potatoes. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Carry uh, on. So when Lyra's born, her mum couldn't hide that she wasn't her husband's because she looked like Asriel. So she just decided to tell everyone Lyra had died and was like, Asriel, you deal with the Fucking baby. rude. Right. So Asriel took Lyra to his estate in Oxfordshire, where he entrusted her to the care of Egyptian woman that lived on that estate. Mm -hmm. The husband somehow found out about the affair and the baby and came after them. And was he going to kill the fucking baby? Apparently so. What the fuck? Because Asriel is out hunting. I quite quite like this description. It's very (laughs) like... So Asriel's out hunting... The Egyptian woman and the baby are hiding in the house. This man is looking for them when Azrael gets called to be like, someone's broken into your house, they're going to kill your baby. Mm-hmm. And he gets back just in time to confront the man and have a fight and yep. kill him. Yeah. While the Egyptian woman and the baby are hiding in a cupboard, which makes me think of that bit in Pirates of the Caribbean, where he's like, where are you, puppet? So <laughs> and she's sorry. hiding in the wardrobe. <laughs> I know that you really like Pirates of the Caribbean, but it's fucking shit. I know. <laughs> I don't... That's Johnny that really likes it. It's so <laughs> shit. I always take the piss out of Johnny for liking it so uh, much. I watched it a lot as a kid, though. But yeah, that bit where he's like, where are you, Poppet? We can hear you, Poppet. And she's hiding in the wardrobe. Just yeah. makes me think of that. I feel like it reminded me of something else, but I can't remember what it is. Maybe the bit in Buffy where Spike's describing to Dawn about how he goes, like, he's in the house and he's killed everyone, but he knows there's a child somewhere. So he gets real quiet, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, here's a whimpering from the coal bin. Oh, my God, great. And, like, great. opens the door and then Buffy walks in and he's like, and I patted her on the head <laughs> and sent her off to bed. <laughs> That's, like, is that five, season five or six? Oh, I don't know. We've watched it quite recently. Five. five. It's at a point when he's allowed to babysit for Dawn, but Buffy's like, why are you telling her these stories? Yeah, it's five. Asriel catches the man before he finds the baby, kills him, but basically there's a trial that goes on for weeks, and the two sides of the law are, Asriel has a right to defend his home and his family. Mm -hmm. The man has a right to avenge the defilement of his wife. A violation. A violation of his wife. What the fuck? Ew. Like, oh, she's just your fucking property, is she? Right. Great. If it was a man has a right to hunt down his wife's rapist, I'd be like, fair play. But then it should be, it shouldn't be the man has the right to do that. It should be the man, the woman, and whoever else wants to hunt down the rapist has the right to hunt down the rapist. It's the fact that it's the man. And the fact that an affair is seen as the defilement of your wife and not your wife's down well choice. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know dick of a choice it might have been like don't cheat on people just break up with them first that would be nice but then also it depends on the situation doesn't it because like if she i'm just like pulling a theory from the air i'm not saying that this is true but like in a situation where someone's in an abusive relationship that's sometimes not possible to split Mm. up with someone so there's lots of different ways that or reasons why she cheated on him Mm-hmm. Also, we get to know that he is an up-and-coming person in politics yeah. who was at one point an advisor to the, like, main guy. I don't know if they the have king. a prime minister. King. The king? Okay. Yeah. 
Sorry for shout that. It says King Rich. Did you hear? <laughs> You're so mean to me this episode. I'm sorry, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm sorry. Stupid law. But as a result, it meant that Asriel didn't go to prison. He just had all of his wealth and riches and like estate taken away, basically. And the mum wanted nothing to do with the baby. And Asriel was like, too fucking right. Get out. I don't want you to have anything to do with this baby. And he also was worried about what would happen if the mum did get the baby back because she was a proud and scornful woman and potentially that would have been a really abusive situation Mm -hmm. for the child to be in. So he took the baby, uh, the Egyptian woman asked if she could keep the baby but was told by the courts, no. Yeah, Uh, another bullshit thing. Yeah, totally rubbish. And so instead they send her to a priory. Mm -hmm. But Asriel, for some reason, decides that's not good enough. He doesn't like religion. He doesn't like it for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Pulls her out, takes her to the college and leaves her there. And the master is told never to let the mother see Lyra and to inform Asriel if she ever tries to. Yeah. And then there's a bit, isn't there, where they mention that that dust starts to become Mm -hmm. a worry for people. Um, But for the Egyptians, it's only become interesting recently when their kids have started to disappear. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says that while Lyra was at Jordan, there's somebody watching over her all the time at Jordan College. She asks who. And then also feels like really strange that loads of people seem to be interested in her life and have like literally watched her since she's been born. Imagine being a 12 year old and he, number one, fucking trying to process who your mum, like who your dad is so far and who your mum is. And also that the people that you've known. Yeah. Like your dad, you've known your whole life, but he's been saying he's your uncle. Fucking thanks. <laughs> Just let her process stuff. Like, you just, like, fucking word vomit all over her. And she's, like, 12 and she's trying to process who her parents are. And then, fucking hell. And then you're telling her there's people watching her all her life. It's like, can you imagine being 12 and and finding out all this stuff? Like, it's... She's going to be in therapy for years. Mm -hmm. He says there's been someone watching over at Jordan. She asks who. And it was Bernie Johansson. The pastry chef. So the kitchen servant person demon watch did you notice something special about bernie I johansson did. so it says that his uh demon was the same sex as himself and that is the first time we've seen that and the first time that it's been highlighted that your demon is usually the opposite sex mm-hmm. he says one of those rare people whose demon was the same sex as himself but so, it yeah. doesn't give you an explanation as to why Mm-mm. and then we got into this in one of our tv show episodes so i'm not going to get fully into it again what if you're a trans person or a non-binary person? It leaves the door open for that to be a yeah. thing, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I can't remember what TV show episode we talked about at length. I think it was one of the early ones, so... Go yeah. back and listen to them if you want our, our two-penneth on that. Mm, I think it came up in like the first or second episode. Yeah. It was quite early on. So that is very, very, very interesting. I would like to know how that is a thing and why like is there any reasoning behind somebody having the same sex demon or can it just randomly happen sometimes also i think perhaps if pullman was writing the books today what do we say this the one that i'm reading was published in 95 Mm -hmm. so if he was writing them today perhaps he'd leave the door further open yeah um, for demons to be able to settle in different genders or genderless or Mm -hmm. non-binary or whatever like i think he would perhaps be more aware than so many of us were back in. I was only two years old, so I, <laughs> doesn't count. And for you me. didn't know about all these nuances with gender at two, right? <laughs> but like, I think a lot of people are learning a lot more today. Yeah. And I think if he were to rewrite some of the stuff he wrote today, he would perhaps leave the door open further to allow more for like a spectrum of gender mm-hmm. and how that would apply to demons. 
Yeah. I would like to think that he would anyway. Yeah, I think so. I'd hope, I hope so. Mm. So we find out that it's the pastry chef, who's the guy that she was shouting at for not paying attention when Roger went missing. So now yeah. she feels extra bad about that. Yeah. They explain that they found out about how she left the college and that it was at a time when Azrael was imprisoned, so they couldn't prevent it. Mm-hmm. They did think it was odd that the master let her go, but they weren't sure. And basically, that that's where the bomb is dropped, that the husband of the, the murdered man, the husband of Lyra's mother, was called Edward Coulter. It's a bit of a sideways way of just being like, your mum's Mrs. Coulter. Yeah. Seems Consider- as they just literally just said your dad's Azrael. Yeah. Like, I'm just a bit like... Bit done with John Farr, not gonna lie. Like, he seems nice. I'm just like, let the girl process stuff. Stop fucking just telling her everything. Why can't it be Marcosta having this conversation with her? Yeah. Marcosta's been looking after her since she since Mm. she was rescued. She's got a much closer relationship with Marcosta because she's been living on the boat with her, helping her, being looked at like maybe have this bombshell dropped by a familiar face yeah. and like john far could still like do what he's doing now but just like leave out those parts and then say to her mark Costa wants to talk to you about some of the things that mm. we think it might be better coming from her because it's just too much it's too much for me reading it never mind yeah going through it so yeah mrs coulter his mum, and she's like she and my mother and i was just like lol <laughs> There's a lot of great like, Egyptian dialecty bits happening in this as well. Like, they've been following you, Lyra. We've been following you. Yeah. And just <laughs> she, that that's her first reaction. She ain't my mother. Yeah. That reminds me yes, of... Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry. I have, to, I have to explain that now. So, in EastEnders, 20, 10, 20 years? No, 10 years ago. Oh, God. 15 years ago. Well, yeah. The not is, I think, right? It was in the noughties. Early noughties. Early noughties. Yeah. There was a character called Cat Slayer and mm-hmm. a character called Michelle. Was it not Zoe? Zoe. I don't, the Slayers. The Slayers. <laughs> anyway, she grew up, one of them grew up, the one that is either Zoe or Michelle or neither, grew up, think, grew up thinking that Cat Slayer was her sister mm-hmm. and then found out on like a really rainy night outside in the square that it's actually a mum. And she's like... And the- <laughs> Don't talk to me like that. You ain't my mother. Yes, I am. Oh my God. Excellent TV. American listeners, please YouTube that. It'll be on YouTube. It's hilarious. Just put in EastEnders, Cat Slater, Zoe Slater. Just Cat Slater, you ain't my mother. Yeah. will probably work. Yeah. And I would suggest spelling mother M-A-V-A. Yeah. <laughs> and also anyone else who has, hasn't seen it. Um, Love it. Classic soap. Classic yeah. UK soap. The, the amount of times, considering I... Have never really watched EastEnders a lot, considering it's like an on-running soap that's been going for like how many years? Thirty years? Something stupid. Yeah, probably longer. Weirdly, that specific bit pops into my life so often, pops into my head so often. It's one of those little bits of it'll never go away. I'm stuck with yes, I am <laughs> forever. <laughs> so fucking great. Anyway, <sighs> Mrs. Coulter is Lyra's mum. They kind of go into at this point. Lyra's like, she's not my mother. They're like, yes, she is. And you wouldn't have ever been put in a situation where you had to live with her if Azriel hadn't been put away. It was weird that the master let you go and yeah. live with her. Yeah. We can only imagine that he was um that something else was going on, that he had different priorities or different things. We don't know why he let you go. Kind yeah. of thing. When this is all going on, she then decides to tell them something that she was keeping from them, which is that 
the master tried to poison Azrael uh, in the retiring room in the first chapter, then she kind of understands as well why all this like talk about Mrs. Coulter and wanting to keep Lyra away from her. That's why the master was acting strange that morning when she was going away with Mrs. Coulter. Mm-hmm. She shows them the alethiometer. Uh, Father Coram says that he never thought he'd see one again, and he calls it a symbol reader. And then John Farr like asks about that term because he'd never heard it being called that. Father Coram says that it's a Greek word. I reckon it's from Alethia, which means truth. It's a truth measure. Mm-hmm. Which um, is a nice description yeah. of the alethiometer for us there, in like very simple terms. Yeah. Um, and he asks her if she has um, used it or like worked out how to use it. Um, and she says that she hasn't worked it out, but she if she concentrates, she can sometimes make the long needle move just by thinking about it. Father Coram explains how it works. Mm-hmm. And this is like quite complicated, so... All these pictures around the rim, they're symbols, and each one stands for a whole series of things. Take the anchor there. The first meaning of that is herp, because herp holds you fast like an anchor so you don't give way. The second meaning is steadfastness. The third meaning is snag or prevention. The fourth meaning is the sea, and so on. Down to ten, twelve, maybe a never-ending series of meanings. And then he says that to fully read it, you need a book. Mm -hmm. And there's three hands that you can control. And you use them to ask a question. By pointing to three symbols, you can ask any question you can imagine because you've got so many levels of each one. Once you've got your question framed, the other needle swings around and points to more symbols that gives you the answer. And then John Ford asks, how does it know what level you're thinking of when you set the question? And he says, it doesn't know by itself. It only works if the questioner holds the levels in your in their mind. You've got to know all the meanings first and there must be a thousand or more. Then you've got to be able to hold them in your mind without fretting at it or pushing for an answer and just watch while the needle wanders. When it's gone round its full range, you'll know what the answer is. So it's quite complicated mm-hmm. reading the books for a second time and for you, like, God knows how many times. Like, we kind of know how it works and as well if you've watched the TV show. But I remember when I first read it and I was like, I still don't understand. The more, yeah, the more times we'll hear about it being yeah. used, the more we'll kind of get to understand it but it is as far as descriptions goes that's about as eloquent as you're going to get with it yeah, really yeah um, I think it's a good description yeah. but I think it's like you kind of need to see it being used don't you to try and uh, decipher it a little bit more it's kind of like the stuff we were talking about earlier with like dust and the magisterium and Asriel like if it's explained to us more and more in different ways yeah then yeah. we'll get it so if you've read it for the first time and you're like what the fuck just know that I was with you as well. <laughs> yes. And we'll get through it together. It's fine. Lyra explains that the master told her that it was very rare, there were only six, that she was to keep it secret from Mrs. Coulter. Yeah. Then she kind of goes on to explain. She tells them as well that um, she thinks that the fucking little monkey prick saw it in her room. Yes. So despite that she did try to keep it secret, yeah. she thinks that Coulter knows anyway. Yeah. They talk about how... They don't really understand the truth of why the master let her go. Uh, the master was given a charge by Asriel to look after you and keep you safe from your mother. And that's what he did for 10 years or more. Then Mrs. Coulter's friends in the church helped her set up the ablation board. For what purpose, we don't know. And there she was, as powerful in her way as Lord Asriel was in his. Your parents are both strong in the world, both ambitious. The master of Jordan holding you in the middle, in the balance in between. Yeah. Like... 
that kind of perfectly describes that position mm-hmm. that we were trying to get around what the master's in. He made a promise to Azrael. He cares for Lyra. Yeah. But there's all these powerful forces. He talks in the chapter when he gives Lyra the alethiometer about how there are forces in this world greater than she can understand. And Azrael and Mrs. Coulter, I think, are two of those forces. Yeah. And they do kind of go on to kind of explain that, you know, the master probably, he does care for you. The scholars do care for you. But they've got so many different things mm. going on that they've probably just picked the best situation out of a bunch of bad situations yeah. for you. Because yeah. in order to let you go off with Mrs. Coulter, the other options must have had to be a lot worse. Yeah, it says that um, like Lord Asriel could could have been like placing the world in, in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, John Farr doesn't know what the Master wanted her to do with the, wants her to do with the alethiometer. Again, like Lyra says, th- like you were saying, thinks maybe he wanted her to keep it away from Asriel. And then like Horam says the opposite. Should she give it to him? Yeah, like maybe it'll help him to either find what he wants to find, get out of prison, <laughs> also do all the things. The way that it's explained, it's um, basically he says uh, he might have had it in mind to ask you to return it to Lord Azriel as a kind of recompense for trying to poison him. It's basically fucking sorry I poisoned you, mate. Here's an alethiometer. Here's a pocket watch. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, or like you said, it could be that he could get some wisdom out of it that he needs. And then Lyra, it kind of like comes to an end a little bit here, doesn't it? And, but There's Lyra... a nice moment where he's like, but for now, we don't know what we want to do with it. So they fold it back up in the velvet and hand it back to Lyra. Yeah. And I think that's a really... It's a little moment, but I think it kind of says a lot because she's shown a thing and she's been told to keep secret to grown-ups. They could have been like, we're well, the grown-ups, yeah. we'll keep it safe. But they give it back to her because yeah, it's they've hers, trusted her with it, yeah. Which I think is really important and probably builds that trust between her and them a lot yeah. more. And then maybe that's why as well she suddenly feels shy mm-hmm. around uh, especially John Farce and maybe that's why. And again, because like he or both of them are showing her kindness so it's making her feel shy and a bit like, ooh. But she's got, she wants to ask loads of questions, but basically she picks one and she asks who the Egyptian woman was that nursed her. And it's Marcosta. Of course it Aww. was. Marcosta. Oh, Marcosta. Which is totally why Mar should have been able to tell her exactly. all the information. Because yeah. yeah. she was literally there. Maybe they were like, maybe, in order to make it less of a dick move for them to have told Lyra, maybe Marcosta was like, look, guys. I'm not going to get through this story without blubbing and I don't want to cry in front of her just yet. So like you tell the story and then send her to me when yeah. she knows and yeah. we'll have a hug and a cry because that's what we need. Yeah. And then they send her off and she picks up Pan and Marcosta's waiting for her outside. And she said, and the, uh, the book says, Marcosta was waiting and as if nothing had happened since Lyra was born, the boat mother gathered her into her great arms and kissed her before bearing her off to bed. Oh... And that's the end of that chapter. Yeah, so cute. It is. As a chapter as a whole, that was quite difficult to get through. Like, I actually think that maybe it's one of, for me anyway, like, talking as we've just recorded, it's probably one of the most difficult ones that we've done. I found myself, like, flitting everywhere trying to remember, like, what was going on. It's so much information. I ran out of post-it notes three times. Did you? (laughs) I, like... Yeah, because I try and reuse my post-it notes from the previous chapter to save the planet. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, but I had to keep writing new ones. Mm-hmm. Like, I made so many notes. And then at one point, when it got to the point of telling the story of Lyra's birth, 
I was just like, fuck the post-it notes. I'm just making bullet points. Because, yeah. like, I didn't really have anything to analyse, but I was just like, there's so much information yeah. to just get through. I just put a sticker in the book and I was like, one of us will probably read this out because <laughs> what's the point in, like, like you said? Spelling it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think, like, it was not my favourite chapter. Very dialogue-heavy. Um, very... It's like the idea of North, I guess. It's yeah. just, here's a lot of information and backstory for you. Yeah, and it is stuff that you need. And it is, like, interesting to think about... How else could you give that information? It kind of needs to be given to you in like one big chunk so that it's over and done with. Yeah. Because obviously... It's not like you find it out and then you're constantly asking, like wondering, yeah. oh, but how did this happen? Yeah. Like, how did Lyra end up at the college? You just, it all gets spelled out. Yeah. Nice. So I think it's good in that way, but as a reader and as a person now talking about it on a podcast, it's quite difficult to take in. I feel like fucking, I actually feel like Lyra when like fucking John Farr's just like word vomiting on us. He's word vomiting mm. on all of us. Like, and this is just... the thing as well, because like I've read the book so many times. I forget that when I very first read them, I didn't know the information. Yeah. So like reading a book for like the 12th time, you're kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I know this. This is the bit where Lyra finds out who her parents are. But like reading it for the first time, you're like, what? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Lord Asriel's her dad? <laughs> what? Uh, Mrs. Uh, Colt is her mum? <laughs> what? What is all this information? I can't retain it. It's like your minds were blown and then they're just like, and then let's talk about how a really complicated instrument works. And you're like, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that is true, actually. It's just so much, isn't it? It's, it's a lot. lot, yeah. Have you got an award to give out? Do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, I um, I've given an award to the unnamed woman who brings in the drinks. Oh, lovely! Just a, you've got this, and we see you award because I want to know more about her. And you know, she's just doing a job. She's doing it well. She deserves the praise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am gonna give my award to the fancy boys. Tony, yes! Tony and Karen. Oh my god! Darling yes. it up for a big night out. <laughs> oh, fucking love it. Yeah. Yes, fancy it. pants awards for those boys <laughs> with that with their spotted neckerchiefs. Oh, yes, so cute. Yeah, love it. Oh, what's the next chapter called? The next chapter is called frustration. Ooh, I think. Let me check. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod. And you can email us at her.materialspod at gmail.com. And we bloody love an email. We bloody love an email. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash HDMPod. And you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because it helps other people find us. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, I'm probably writing... You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faily, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my blog posts, although I haven't done any for a while, I'm on Medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making designer toys, art and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes and over on my online shop rachmakes.co.uk and I'm doing a big scary thing and moving house so this month I have a discount code going 
and it's 20% off if you use the code MOVINGDAY2020. A huge thank you to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings and for help with navigating the scary tech stuff. We'll see you in two weeks' time, and don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.